As we come up on Memorial Day tomorrow, I want to honor those and give thanks for those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is going to say later on, we're getting close to this section in, in John 15, where he says there's no greater love than a man laying down his life for his friends. And so we want to give thanks and remembrance. And we have a table, if you have had a friend or a loved one that's fallen, we have a table of remembrance set up there on the back table where you can write their name and want to give you that opportunity to remember them in that way. Um, we're going to spend some time now looking at the scriptures together. This is something we do every week. We open up the Bible, uh, study it together, try to learn from it. We're in a series in the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn to page 898 in the black Bibles that are close to you under the chairs there. We're moving through the last words of Jesus. We're looking at the last week of his life in this series right now. And this week we are moving into John chapter 13, and we're calling it Real Love Serves. So John chapter 13, Real Love Serves. It's a pretty famous story. A lot of you will be familiar with the story in John 13 is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And I think before we read the story, it's important to kind of frame it in our minds, like how do we think about love in our culture right now? And I think we most often use the word in a romantic sense. And so the, the word can be used that way, but I think it kind of takes us off course a little bit. We often hear the phrase or say the phrase, I'm falling in love. Or you might hear someone that's thinking about breaking up with someone saying, I'm not really in love with them anymore, right? Um, and that's not how the Bible uses the word love. Um, it, it's not evil for you to use it that way, but that's not how the Bible talks about love. Love is something you do. Love is a choice that you make. So let me give you another picture of this. Um, maybe 20 years ago, my kids were real little. Uh, my wife and I were somewhat newlyweds. We had a two-year-old and a three-year-old. And we were going to see my wife's sister and her husband out in New York City. So opportunity to go see New York City. They were uh, writers and kind of artist hipster types living in Brooklyn. And so it was a great opportunity for us to travel out there when we were living in St. Louis. We drove out to see them. Had a great time with them, enjoyed seeing the city, enjoyed seeing Brooklyn, and they took us to a really nice restaurant. So we were at this really cool restaurant, felt like everybody there was, you know, like this kind of fancy New York artist or something, and it's looking out over the water. It's just, it's just like we were in the movies, you know? If you, I don't know if you've ever been to New York City, you just feel like you're in the movies when you're there. And this was a really nice place. Um, so we're just, you know, trying to act cool, trying to enjoy our dinner, but we happen to have a two-year-old and a three-year-old with us, right? So... I can reduce your cool level a little bit. Um, and about halfway through dinner, everything seemed to be going great, but I just saw this weird look on my two-year-old son's face. And as a father, uh, I knew what was about to happen. Um, he got this weird look on his face, and before it got worse than it needed to be, I dove across the table, and he started to throw up, and I caught it in my hands, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, this is gross, but this is what real love is, people, okay? <laughs> I want to apologize, but also you need to understand, this is what love is, okay? So I shield everybody else. I whisk him away. We like wrap him in cloth napkins and run him out to the bathroom, right? Um, But I share that story on purpose because the story here in John 13 is, is Jesus is doing something gross to actually love people. You don't hear him going like, do I really feel in love anymore with the disciples and the human race? I'm not sure. How do I feel? No, He's loving them with his actions. Real love serves. And that's what he's showing us here, okay? 
I'm trying to set it up for you so that we, we fully absorb what, what is going on. Let's read John 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. I might stop a little short of that. So starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, uh, when, the, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the, the framework, the setup is it's Passover time. The hour has come for him to die. And it's saying, this is about him loving them to the very end, okay? That's our setup. We've already seen last chapter before that, Passover time is important. His hour has come to die for our sins. That's important. But here it's framing it and saying, this is him loving us, right? This, what he's doing here. Verse two has a little aside. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, then, verse three, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'll stop there. We'll pray um, and ask for God's help. We believe this is a supernatural encounter that as we read God's word, as we look to Jesus in the scriptures, we need his Holy Spirit to help us to really see what he's saying. So I'm gonna pray and ask for his help. God, we, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to who you are. Uh, we believe you've spoken to us in your word. And now we ask you to speak to our hearts, to help us to hear your word, to receive it, um, that you would guide us. Thank you for teaching us what love is. Help us, Lord, to love others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a, a little bit of context that's, that's helpful. Uh, if you look at Luke and you kind of, well, let me back up. There's a thing called a harmony of the gospels. You've ever heard of that, a harmony of the gospels? It basically puts all the gospels together in order. So it's a really helpful book. If you want to study the life of Jesus, it's great to get one of those. You could also get a chronology Bible or a chronological Bible. It can do that for the whole Bible. Those are really helpful study tools. I was rereading that this week. And Luke 22 happens right before John 13, if you kind of try to put things together in order of events. And in Luke 22, you have the disciples arguing about who is the greatest. They did this a lot. But it happened right before the Last Supper, right before Jesus washes his disciples' feet. So in Luke 22, um, the predecessor for this story is 
The disciples are like, who's the best? Who's going to be vice president when our Messiah King takes over and kicks out Rome? You know, and they're jockeying for position and power. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, you need to serve. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least. That's the road to power. That's what real leadership is. And so historically, many people have seen this passage where I'm saying this is about real love as service also being about leadership. Real leadership is love. Real love is service. Real service is leadership, right? It's all kind of bound up. So, you know, you run out of rooms. I can't say it all. So we're going to go with real love serves. But I want you to keep it in the back of your mind that this is also about leadership. All of you, I, we all have different spheres of influence, circles of concern. You may not have a title where you are called a leader, but you still are leading someone. There's someone around you that you're influencing in, and, and it's all about loving them and serving them. Okay, so this all goes together. Go back when you get a chance and read Luke 22. But as we focus on John 13, the story here in John 13, we're going to see three things. Love motivates leadership, Okay. Love is what propels Jesus out to serve them in this way. So love is motivating him. Love takes action, okay? Love is practical. It's not passive, but it's active, initiating. Um, And then finally, love must be imitated. He says, it's an example. Follow my example. Go do likewise is what he ends with in this chapter. So first of all, love motivates leadership. Love is what pushes and propels Jesus out. Now, this is a theme of all of John. John chapter 1, we know that Jesus came to the earth out of the perfect love he had with the Father. It says he was with God and he was God. It says later on in chapter 1 that he was there on the bosom of the Father. It's this kind of um, Middle Eastern way of saying, like you can imagine you're watching a movie with your wife or with your kid and they're laying on your shoulder. It's this kind of picture of intimacy, right? It's a picture of closeness. And so the idea is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a perfect intimacy. Our God is one God in three persons, and he exists as a perfect community of love. And so we see that, all of that, just in the Gospel of John, right? But what do we see here? What do we see here about this? We'll look again at verse 1. Verse 1 frames it for us with the time. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay, so big stuff here. John, John does this a lot, right? Like he's talking about huge, big, you know, 50,000 feet view stuff. It's like the time of the Passover. He's the lamb that's come to give his life for this, you know, to be the ransom for many, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist says at the beginning of John. So we're, we're getting that framework, right? It's Passover. He's coming to be the true Passover Lamb. We also hear here in verse 1, the hour has come. And that keeps coming up in John again and again. That means that the hour has come for him to die, to be that sacrificial lamb, to die on the cross for our sins, okay? So that gives us more clarity, more context. And then it says also that he was going back to the Father, right? So it's rooting us in that love relationship with the Father that all of John is about. And it says here specifically, having loved his own who were in the world, he's already loved his people. It says he's now loving them to the end. That word end in Greek is interesting because it can mean chronological end. It can also mean the end for which something is made, um, like its purpose, maturity, right? And so the idea is he loved them to the fullest and he loved them up to the last moment. moment. It can kind of like be saying both at the same time. 
So he loved them in every way that love is supposed to be shown, the fullest extent of love, the fullness, the end of love, and also to the end of like, it's the last minute. He's loving them up to the very last minute, right? And then verse 2 helps us to clarify that. Verse 2 is saying, oh, and by the way, Judas is going to betray him. So that throws in that he's loving them to the very end, even loving the one that he knows is betraying him, right? So not only does he love these disciples who let him down regularly, but he's even loving one who is betraying him. And he, he's aware of that. He knows that. In verse 2, then verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, then he does everything he does, okay? And we'll get to what he does in a minute, verse 4. Verse 3, though, frames it with, he knew he came from God. He knew he was going back to God. He knew that God had given him everything, right? We often get this completely backwards. We think if someone's going to serve, someone's going to serve because they think of themselves as a lowly servant. But Jesus flips that script completely around, right? Jesus says, you know what service looks like? It, it looks like knowing that you're perfectly loved, knowing that you have everything. And if you know that you're completely taken care of, that you're full, that you're loved, that you're secure, that you have a rock-solid identity that can't be shaken, that in Jesus' case, you're the king of the universe, that's what actually motivates you to serve and lead in the ways that he does. Isn't that amazing? I think it's really important for us to recognize that if we want to lead like Jesus and if we want to serve like Jesus, we have to have the same motivation that Jesus has. Now, to be clear, you're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus, right? But Jesus is inviting us into the same love relationship that he has with the Father. That's what his death on the cross accomplishes. So the Christian gospel, the good news of Christianity, is that Jesus has taken away the separation that exists now between you and me and God. Right? Our sin is keeping us away from God, separating us from God, making our life not what it's supposed to be, filling our lives with brokenness. And there's two ways we can respond to that, right? We can think, well, I've got to clean that up. I've got to clean up that sin mess. And we often try to clean it up through religious rules, you know, fixing our lives. Or we try to clean it up through just indulgence, right? Just saying, I will just do what feels good and that'll make the shame go away, right? Neither one of those really work. Jesus says, I'll take care of the sin for you. I will bear your sin on the cross. And when we receive that by faith, when we trust that Jesus has actually brought us into a relationship with the Father, then we can have the same love relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Then you can get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, God loves me. He's given me everything I need. You can say the same kind of thing that is said about Jesus right here. Can you do that? That's what it means. That's how big the good news is, right? The good news of the gospel is not just so you don't go to hell when you die. The good news of the gospel is you have a restored relationship with the Father. You have abundant life in Him. Do, do you see that? By faith, God loves me. We have this thing we talk about in Christian circles sometimes called a quiet time. You might have heard that phrase before. What we do is we say, we see Jesus having this habit of like early in the morning sneaking off to pray and meditate on, on the scriptures. And we're like, we, sh we should do that too, right? And so in Christian culture, that's sometimes called a quiet time. The recommendation is that you spend some time before you face your day just getting yourself straight with God and remembering this. You say, this is what a quiet time is about, right? Because sometimes weird things can happen in Christian culture. We're all about studying the Bible, right? At our church, it's Grace Bible Church. Bible is in our middle name, right? So we can kind of get into this nerdy, like, who knows more Bible than the other guy competition, when really it's like going to his word to remember who you are. Do you have that kind of relationship 
with God and with his word, with the scriptures. I grabbed a picture here of someone looking in the mirror. Um, I want you to be able to look in the mirror in the morning, and I think she's like fixing her makeup or something. Not to just fix your makeup, but look in the mirror and say, who, who am I? Spiritually speaking, look in the spiritual mirror. Who am I? Am I going to believe what the world and the flesh and the devil says about me? Am I going to believe lies, condemnation? Or am I going to believe the good news? That God loves me. And he's restored my relationship through Jesus. And I'm his child. And I have everything I need. And then out of that, that, that's what motivates us to lead, to serve, to have an influence on the people around us. This is so important. I would, I would say it so strongly as to say we can't really have much of an impact on people at all unless we get this straight, right? Unless we settle this. Now, some of you might be skeptical like, Dave, are you sure God loves me? Right, you're thinking that right now. Um, I can say, number one, he proved that by sending Jesus for you. That's the number one evidence. God sent Jesus for you. He didn't just sit back and go, well, you messed things up, right? But he came after us in love through Christ. But there's this great passage that I don't, I'm not sure completely why, but my, my heart, maybe there's just somebody here that needs it. My heart kept going to this passage this week. It's Deuteronomy 7. It's a place in Deuteronomy where God is restating his law, right? But in the midst of that, God always says, do my law, obey me because I loved you first. Even the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 are framed that way. And in Deuteronomy 7, it says this, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Right? So just like I'm saying, he's chosen you to be his child. He loves you. God is saying that to Israel in Deuteronomy here. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, he's chosen you. And then Deuteronomy 7, 7 says this, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. Translation, it's not because you were great, but actually you were puny, right? That's not why God loves you. He doesn't love you because of how impressive you are. What does he say? That's not why he loved you. Verse 8 says, it's because, you ready? The Lord loves you. Isn't that beautiful circular logic there? Why does God love you? Because he loves you. So every morning, this is a really helpful one to look at. Like, okay, God loves me. God loves me. I think we get further clarity in the New Testament. A a really concrete proof is the gospel itself is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. But in Deuteronomy, he's like, just so you know, God didn't love you because you were so awesome. God loves you because he loves you. That's where the love of God is rooted, is in him. And so again, we see Jesus' service, Jesus' leadership, even Jesus, who we would say is God, his service and his leadership and his mission and his impacting the people around him was motivated in this love he had with the Father before he ever came to see us. Does that make sense? And we need to walk through this. Again, the end of our passage in chapter 13 says, Jesus gave us an example to follow. This is part of that example. Do you believe that you're loved? If you believe you're loved, you're going to serve other people. One of my professors called this the platinum rule. Um, the golden rule is, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. The platinum rule is you will love people to the degree that you believe you are loved by God. You believe you're loved, you're going to love, you're going to serve, you're going to lead, you're going to impact other people. Okay, the next section we see what it looks like, the actual action that takes place. It's not passive, but it's active. Jesus does something, and he's going to meet a, a real tangible need. In the ancient world, uh, well, in the Middle Eastern world here, they wore sandals, 
They had dirt streets. So that combination means their feet were always nasty. You've probably, if you've been in churches before and you've heard this taught before, it's a pretty common thing, common knowledge about the history of the time. So for us today, a lot of us wear sandals today, but we have sidewalks and stuff and we live in houses that don't have dirt floors. So it's easier to keep our feet clean, right? But they always had the problem of dirty feet. And this was a very low class, servile sort of job to wash feet, okay? And so remember, context, Luke 22, disciples are fighting over who's the greatest. Who's going to be vice president in Jesus' new reign as king, right? That's what they're fighting over. And they miss completely, hey, there's nobody here to wash feet. So Jesus takes care of the issue. Okay, so Jesus is motivated by the love he has with the Father. Look at verse 4. It says, knowing who he was, where he'd come from, verse 4, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he's taking very practical action steps to love and serve people. It was a real, tangible need they had. Little aside, it's not like they were going to die without this, right? It's just kind of like a daily need, and I want to help you to see that as well. There, there are a lot of ways to love people that may not be emergency love, right? It doesn't always mean the only way to practically serve someone is if they're starving, right? You can practically serve people in a million ways, and we'll see that later as we see that this is an example he's given us to build on, right? He wants us to copy this example in multiple creative ways, but Jesus here is doing something humble, and he's doing something very practical, and it reminded me of a story one of my professors had shared in seminary. And uh, my professor, this was a professor of apologetics that was talking about a time when his wife had had cancer and they were really struggling. And his wife made it and she survived and that was great. But, you know, they're going through this time of chemo where she was just incredibly sick and their home was kind of in disarray. You know, they were just kind of barely making it through the day, barely making it through um, their treatments, barely surviving. You know, we, we've been in those places before, right? Where you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through these next six months. And it was one of those times in their life. And he was telling the story with tears in his eyes. It was actually a class, I believe, where he was teaching us about leadership. It was a class he was teaching on leadership. And he told us the story as an example of what true leadership is. And he said that the president of the seminary's wife came over to bring them a meal and clean their house because their life was just in utter chaos and disarray. And I've seen you guys do this so many times. As people struggle, you go and you meet them there and you help them and you serve them. I say thank you for doing that. My professor had had that happen in his life and the, the contrast was even more beautiful to him, I think, because this is a president of a Presbyterian seminary, right? And so we're pretty laid back here, but Presbyterians are a little more uptight, right? And so just kind of think of like, you know, Southern institutional president, very prim and proper. That's what this family was like, right? They never said anything out of place. They always looked put together, you know, the perfect amount of hairspray. Just sweetest people in the world, but just very tucked in, well-placed, well-spoken, just very presidential, right? And he was just telling us a story with tears going down his face saying, yeah, I looked in the other room and I see uh, the president's wife on her hands and knees, scrubbing the floor, cleaning the toilets in the bathroom. I have a picture here, a visual here, someone cleaning the toilet. Um, but he was like, it just, it, it just overwhelmed me. God's grace to me through these people who are loving and serving us in this, in this way. He's like, that's leadership, right? That's service. That's love. 
He's taking these concrete, physical steps of action, serving people in real ways, meeting their needs, meeting people where they are. Um, I don't know if you see these opportunities around you, but I think the principles here are, it doesn't really matter if it's a low job, if it's beneath you, right? If you're an important person, we see Jesus meeting the need of the moment. He's demonstrating what needs to be done. Now, there's some really interesting back and forth that makes it a little more complicated, though, right? So he's taking action. He's loving them in a concrete way. But look at this where Peter starts to argue with them. Uh, Verse 6. Verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter as he's washing their feet, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like, Peter's kind of confused about it, right? So again, imagine if, if you're in a position and someone really important to you, Someone, Jesus says later, that you, know, you would call Lord or Master or Teacher, right? Someone who's maybe some sort of very important uh, authority figure over your life comes and wants to do something that seems inappropriate, right? That wants to serve you in some way where you're like, that's, that's not right. You shouldn't serve in that way, right? You're too important for that. And that's what, part of what Peter is feeling here. Lord, do you wash my feet? Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. So he said this many times through the Gospels, right? We sometimes don't get things until later through the lens of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then things become more clear. So he's saying that. You you won't understand until later. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter's indignant. He's just saying, no, I don't want you to do this. This is too inappropriate. I I don't know if you've been around Southerners enough to to notice this thing, I know like we have a lot of people from different places because of Fort Hood, right? So maybe half of you are actual Southerners. But Southerners do this weird thing where like you offer them something and they say, oh, no, no, and really they mean yes. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, it's kind of like they're, they're pretending, it's like a dance of politeness when they're basically lying, but they're trying to be polite. You know, it's a weird social norm that we do in the South. And so when I first read this, I thought, that's what I thought, right? I've lived in Texas most of my life. I thought, oh, that's what's going on here. Oh, no, 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 Jesus, don't do that, really. He wants it, right? But as I read this more, I studied this more, I think he's just, he's just out and out indignant, right? He's, he's horrified that Jesus would serve him in this way. And, and I think he has good reason to be, right? Like, Jesus is the Messiah. They're convinced that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King. He's like, no, you, no way, Jesus. I will not allow it, Right? And Peter and Jesus have a lot of these, these funny uh, conflicts throughout the Gospels. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus says, if you don't let me wash you, we can't have a relationship. And so here's where it gets interesting. This is a real physical thing he's doing. He's actually washing their feet. They need their feet washed. He's doing a physical thing but he's going to keep now throughout the text pointing to, but there's a deeper spiritual need you have of spiritual washing. This is part of what makes John a little confusing, but let me just say John is uh, able to speak at both levels simultaneously, right? So like earlier stories, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Those people were hungry. Jesus gave them real food. And then he said, but I'm the real spiritual bread. You need spiritual food beyond this physical food. So Jesus is able to simultaneously meet our physical needs And then say, but you have a deeper spiritual need. Your separation from God, that's the big issue here, right? I'm going to fill your stomach so that you can stop and think and absorb this. But you need to know God, right? Even more than you need this food. And he's saying the same thing with the washing. Like he's doing a real physical thing. He's actually helping people. And he's also pointing them to their spiritual need. Do you see that? Last week, we talked about how the way you really see the glory of Jesus is through the cross. 
without the cross, you don't really understand who Jesus is. If you just think Jesus was a prophet or a nice guy or a cool guru or a you know, hip radical guy in the first century, you're missing who Jesus really is. He might have been all those things, but he was more. The cross shows us who he really is. We saw that last week. Here he's saying a very parallel, similar thing. He's saying, if I don't wash you, we can't have a relationship. Do you see that? And so now he goes on. He's kind of now going to go back and forth with the physical washing and the spiritual washing. Look at verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, right? So Jesus draws a line in the sand. He's like, Peter, we can't have a relationship unless I wash you. And Peter's like, okay, well, wash all of me, right? Like, wash my whole body then, Jesus. I'll take full, full meal deal washing. And Jesus is like, well, Peter, come on. You don't need a full bath. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. He's like, okay, let's, let's focus here, Peter. Your feet are the only thing that's dirty, okay? So I'm washing your feet because your feet are dirty. Now, again, it's pointing to the spiritual need. We need to have our sins washed away. It's pointing to that, but right here, right now, this is the physical need. You just need to have your feet washed. You are clean, but not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus keeps flipping back and forth, right? He's saying, there's a real physical need. I'm going to wash your feet. Yeah, I don't need to wash your whole body. That's silly. That's ridiculous. I just need to wash your feet. We're going to do what really needs to be done here. But he's like, but don't miss that I need to wash away your sins. And one of you has not had your sins washed away. He's talking about Judas betraying him, right? So again, we, we have to be able to follow and say, we have a God who wants to meet our physical needs and we are a people who should meet other people's physical needs and we want to tether that to the deeper spiritual needs that exist. We need Jesus. We need to have our relationship with Jesus restored. That doesn't mean we don't care about physical needs, right? James makes this clear in James. James says there's this problem sometimes religious people have where we talk a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo and talk about faith, but we don't actually help people with their physical needs. It's like we should always keep those things together. We should serve people's physical needs and we should help them to understand, man, you could be well fed and you could be well taken care of and have your physical needs met, but if you don't know Jesus, you're in trouble. You need to know that Jesus has died for you, has died to bring you into a relationship with the Father. So we need to always be about both things and Jesus is pointing at that here as he takes these practical steps, as he takes practical action. So I think the big takeaway is look for ways to take practical action to help other people. Look out for those opportunities. Those will lead to opportunities like Jesus here is talking about there's a deeper spiritual need going on behind that, right? That's just introducing people to even more that we need from Jesus. But look for opportunities to serve in that way. He's giving us a pattern. He's going to say at the end of the section or in the next section, I'll talk about it. It's an example. It's a pattern to follow. So look for these opportunities to serve others. Another application, though, that I think is really important as we look at Simon Peter you got to let people serve you, too. You see that? A lot of us, I struggle with this as a leader. A lot of us are too prideful to let people help us. Did you hear that? Because I think a lot of you struggle with it, right? I don't want to meddle in your business too much, but I think a lot of you struggle with this. You're too prideful. You're too independent to let people serve you. Part of showing the gospel to people is serving like Jesus served, but also part of the gospel is letting people serve you. Admitting that you're a person that has needs. And a beautiful example of this is Jesus throughout the gospels asks other people for help. 
right? Later on, it's not in this gospel. We get more details in the other gospels. He's going to ask for his disciples to go pray with them and sit with them as he prays on his final night before he dies. Now, they let him down, right? <laughs> but he's showing this human need. He's inviting other people into real relationship with him where he's depending on other humans. That's a part of walking with Jesus is living in community in such a way where you actually let other people help you. Not only do you help them, we don't just get to be superheroes. We, we let other people help us as well. That, that's a part of this in practical ways. Ask for help. Okay, the last thing here is that love must be imitated. Love must be imitated. Uh, the Greek word example in verse 15 is paradigma. It, it can be a broad word that I think probably the best way to think about it is like a stencil. Have you ever used a stencil to paint lettering on something? Uh, I grabbed a picture here on the interwebs of someone painting a decoration on the wall. She's using some kind of stencil, right? So think of like a pattern. Maybe you've traced a picture, right? You put a, a piece of paper over top of a picture and you can trace it out. Sometimes I used to draw a lot when I was a kid. Uh, so the idea is that Jesus gives us a, a paradigm, paradigma. He gives us, uh, or it's hoopadigma. He gives us this pattern to follow and then we're kind of tracing that out and we're using that to, to then creatively serve and love people in many different ways, right? Now, just a little aside, some church traditions, because we are where we are, a lot of you are going to come and go. God's going to take you to another city, right? You're going to end up in another church. Some churches make foot washing what we would call an ordinance or sacrament, where it's a regular symbolic act that they do to kind of renew their covenant with Jesus, right? So for us, we, we kind of just limit the ordinances to baptism and the Lord's Supper. But some traditions will add foot washing to that. Um, I don't think that's an evil thing. I just think here, Jesus is saying, this is a pattern to follow. So it's okay to use it symbolically. Like my, my uh, daughter and her husband did foot washing at their wedding. You may have seen that at a wedding before. It's a beautiful symbolic act. It's a great thing. But there should be more, right? Don't just use it symbolically. Jesus is saying, follow this pattern. Imitate this. Go be creative and serve people in practical ways in a million different ways, right? So, so here, let's look at the text. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You hear that? I'm your Lord, I'm your teacher. This is where the kind of servant leadership concept comes in. I'm, I'm an authority over you. So if your authority would do this, how much more should you do this? How much more should you follow the pattern of humbly loving and serving others? And then he goes on in verse 15, for I have given you an example. I have given you an example. That's that word I was talking about earlier, that you also should do just as I have done to you. So here's the pattern. Here's the stencil. Now go trace that out, right? Go repeat this. Go do this in a million different ways, in a million different situations. Look for opportunities. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the eyes of Jesus and the heart of Jesus could, so you could be sensing what the need is in the room, in the moment, so you're not like the disciples who are fighting over who's the greatest, right? And those are two different options, right? You could be praying, Holy Spirit, show me how to serve people. Or you could be in the room going, Am I the greatest? Are you the greatest? And kind of trying to, you know, push your friends out of the way so you can be the greatest. Jesus says, follow, follow this example that I've given you. Verse 16, truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here's the other thing. There's real blessing in this. Like 
just try it, okay? I, I dare you to try it. And, and again, everything I said before, I, I think it should be motivated by love. I think this loses a lot of its weight and impact if it's motivated by selfishness and jockeying for position. But if you're motivated by love, I think this works the way it's supposed to work. But I would just say, try it, right? Try serving others in love, trusting by faith that you are loved. And there will be real blessing in it. Um, years ago, my wife and I had just been married seven years. And I keep telling stories from like the same period of my life. I don't know what this is. I must have been remembering, uh, remembering a lot of this this week. But about seven years of marriage, we took one of those five love languages tests. Have y'all ever seen this book, The Five Love Languages? Um, I don't think I ever read the book. I've read, kind of skimmed some of it. I think it's kind of a primitive book. Uh, but the, the test is helpful. I found it very helpful in, in marriage counseling and in my own marriage. And basically what it says is we all have different ways of giving and receiving love, right? Could be words spoken. It could be quality time. It could be gifts given. It could be acts of service and physical affection. I think that's it. Did I say five? Close enough. Um, and I took that test with some other couples. We went out to like, you know, have a double date for Valentine's Day. We took this test and I was just kind of processing it over a few days going, this test is telling me in order for my wife to feel loved, I have to do things I don't like. That hardly seems fair, right? Like, God, what have you done? You know, here I am. I'm a seminary student at this time. I'm training to be a preacher. I'm mad at God. Like, God, it's like you tricked us, right? Like, we fell in love. Oh, this is great. And then we learn as we get to know each other, in order for you to feel loved, you have to do things you don't like. And in order for me to feel loved, you, you know, I've probably said that backwards, but it's like, that just seems unfair. I want to do things that are easy and my wife feel loved, right? And vice versa. And, and what I had to do was, going back to the first point, I had to come back to the Lord and be like, okay, well, Lord, I'm mad at you right now, but I trust that you're good and I trust that you love me and you've called me to love my wife, so I'm just going to do it, right? I'm just going to love her in the ways that she feels loved. And you know what? This verse has come true in our marriage. We've been married 18, 19 more years since then. And there's been huge blessing, right? Like I've learned to speak another language. And I've, I've learned to love her in ways that didn't come naturally to me as a young man. And I want to encourage you, pray that God would give you wisdom to see that, right? You, maybe you don't need to go read the book, but pray that God would show you, like how, how do I actually need to love the people around me? Because you're not going to automatically see it. You're going to need the Holy Spirit or a book or your friend to knock you upside the head, right? You're going to need some kind of intervention, to see that, to see the ways that you can serve and love the people around you so you can recreate this pattern that Jesus gives us. So he says, there's blessing in it. Truly, truly, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So he's now, quoting Old Testament prophecies again, saying, I know one of you is going to betray me, but I'm, I'm loving you anyway. Verse 19, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, right? So I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to get betrayed. And this goes along with serving others as well. A part of the pattern of serving is you're going to serve people, and it's going to go badly. And you're going to be tempted to say, see, that's what I get for loving people. See, that's what I get for serving people. He's saying, no, now you know. It's going to happen. I'm going to get betrayed. Now you all know it's okay. Follow the pattern anyway. Keep loving people anyway. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives 
me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so he's talking to the apostles. They have a special job, right? We're not apostles. The apostles wrote the New Testament. They had an authority that we don't have. But what we do have is we're both the church. We're the church. They're the church. We're both sent ones. We're both sent in Jesus' name. We're both, as the rest of the New Testament talks about, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. We're sent out to follow his pattern and to love the world the way he loves the world. That's our job. So he says, go out. Go out and follow this pattern. And if people receive you, they're receiving me. No, sometimes there will be betrayers. They won't always receive you. The way we talk about this in recovery ministry is you can't change people, right? All you can do is love people. We, we just present the truth. We serve. We love. And then we leave the results to God. It's not our job to fix people. It's our job to walk this out, to serve them humbly, to share the hope we have in Jesus, and then leave the results to him. Say, okay, Lord, what are you going to do with this? And we trust him with that process. Um, start, start with those close to you. So I'll just give you a couple of concrete examples of what this can look like, and then we'll be done. Um, start with those closest to you. It might be your roommates, uh, brother, sister, spouse. I talked about that a little bit in my own life. Talk, start with the people that are closest to you and, and pray that God will show you concrete ways to love them, right? In the name of Jesus, we always want to tie it back to the gospel, to the deeper spiritual need we have in Christ, but we want to just physically love people in real concrete, active ways, right? Following this pattern. Um, Then move out from there, right? Your neighbors, right? Your neighbors, they might be weird and drive you crazy. Look, pray for, for concrete, practical ways to love them and to serve them however you can. From there, the church, church community. We're in a time of transition as a church community. Can I give you a couple of, of course I can, I have the microphone on, right? Can I give you a couple of ways that you could serve and love our church community this summer? Um, a couple of things are going on that are really exciting, that we're just pumped that God is doing this in our midst. We're planting a new church in Harker Heights, right? So we're sending out a bunch of people for that. We're going to pray and commission them next week. Um, but also in the midst of that, it's a big PCS season, so a lot of people are moving away because of the army as well. But every summer, the Lord brings tons of new people in to the city, Right, and so some, some practical ways you could help us. As we lose a lot of committed people, could you pray about giving? That's a concrete way that you could serve us. Now, some of you, I, I know you well enough to know, some of you don't give at all because you can't give as much as you'd like to, right? So can I challenge you to give what you can? And I'd rather have a ton of people giving a little bit than a bunch of people, you know, not giving much and other people giving a lot. Can you just say, I'm, I'm not going to make it about shame or embarrassment or whatever. I'm just going to give what I can. You just set aside and and commit to some regular giving. That's a way that you could serve and show love to our community as we go through this big transition. Another way is just physically serving by by volunteering to serve on one of our kind of front row teams, right? So in this big turnover, two teams that are really important in serving at our church is the welcome team and the nursery team. Those are two ways that we continue to welcome new people into our community, kind of the, the front row of like if we don't have that, it kind of cascades down and affects a lot of other things. So if you could consider signing up for that, if you can consider giving financially as you're able, those are two practical ways you could serve us here. And then another one that's beyond our church body, but thinking about across the world, cross-cultural serving, we have a trip coming up to Guatemala. It's going to be talked about in the announcements, but this is a great opportunity for you to grow as a servant, to, to remember what it's like to be like Jesus who says, I'm loved, so I'm going to step into someone else's world and love them in a cross-cultural way. I don't fully understand who they are and what they do, but this helps you to grow as a follower of Jesus to love people in cross-cultural circumstances. So consider that trip as well.
I want to wrap up by just quoting verse 3 again. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he washed his disciples' feet. My wife and I put in our wedding rings, 1 John 4:19. We love because he first loved us. Jesus loved you because the Father first loved him. And we love each other. We love God because Jesus first loved us. He took the initiative. He loved you first. Now he's calling us to love each other in response. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the love you've shown us in Christ. We thank you for saving us. We thank you also for for meeting our physical needs. We thank you for daily bread. Uh, We thank you for another day of breath. Father, help us to use uh, the stewardship of another day for your glory. And Father, we pray for another one. We pray for another one. As long as you give us life on this earth, we pray like the Apostle Paul, that it would be years of fruitful labor for you. Um, help us to follow you, to follow your pattern, to see that, that real love serves others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.